Kevin, once once again, you picked a song that kind of coincides with some of the stuff we're going to talk about right there. That that last song, brother. You think that's a cool? You think that's a coincidence, Kevin? I just let everybody know he doesn't he doesn't confer. They don't confer with me beforehand, so that's that's two weeks in a row I think that this has happened. Um, before we get into our scripture today, I want to take just a few minutes to kind of give us an overview about what we've talked about the last three uh, Sundays. If you recall the first Sunday that I was here, which was, uh, yeah, three Sundays three Sundays ago, I told you guys that I just kind of wanted to lay a foundation. I wanted to lay a foundation for what I think and what I believe Scripture tells us is authentic Christianity. Authentic Christianity. What it looks like to live out our Christian faith in our day-to-day lives. I also said I wanted to give you guys a good idea about who I was. As a pastor, I told you guys that I consider myself to be what I call a discipleship pastor. If y'all remember correctly, uh, the first week I was here, man, we really, really um, drove home that idea of discipleship. And I feel like that's my calling, or at least part of my calling um, as a pastor, is to raise congregations that are geared towards discipleship. And also, the other thing that I told you is I wanted to, um, again, drive home these three scriptures that we focused on over the last three weeks and how I hope that they would kind of serve as a foundational guide as to where we are headed, or at least to my vision anyway, as to where Bemis United Methodist Church would be, head, would be headed. The first, looks, the first week, um, we looked at the final words of Christ in the Gospel of Matthew. And we oftentimes refer to these things as the great, to these verses as the Great Commission. Again, it's the last thing that Jesus is recorded as saying to the apostles before he ascends into heaven. Go therefore into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. These were the marching orders to the apostles. These were Jesus' marching orders to the apostles. These remain our marching orders today. Particularly, we really described, we really dived um, pretty deep again into that word disciple. We talked about what a disciple was. We talked about the fact that a disciple was a learner, that a disciple was or is a student. A disciple is a person who imitates. A disciple is a person who emulates the, the thoughts, the teachings, the, the mannerisms even, the words, and of course the actions of his or her master. And of course our master as Christians is Jesus Christ. And I really challenge you guys because I believe that the Bible challenges us. I believe Jesus challenges us. When he calls us to be disciples, he doesn't call us just to be believers. I think that's a big misstep in the church today, is we've got a lot of believers and not a lot of disciples. Christ didn't say go and make believers. Of course you can't be a disciple without being a believer, but you can certainly be a believer without being a disciple. And I think that's something, once again, we really, really need to drive home in our churches today. We talked about that word obedience, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And we, got, we, we went into the second week. We looked into this scripture in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, uh, where Jesus quotes, where Jesus is asked, uh, you know, what is the greatest commandments? And Jesus quotes a couple of scriptures. He quotes a scripture out of the book of Deuteronomy. He quotes a scripture out of the book of Leviticus. And instead of giving them one commandment, Jesus answers by giving two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And we discovered that Jesus put these two commandments pretty much in the same ballpark with each other. That they are equal with one another. Loving God, according to Christ, is just as important as, as, important 
as loving or loving my neighbor is just as important in the eyes of God as as loving God. Go and teach them all that I have commanded you. Well, what does Christ command? Here's our starting point: love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Finally, we dived a little bit deeper last week into what it really, really looks like to love our neighbor as ourselves. Because on the surface, that seems like a pretty easy task. That seems like a pretty simple thing to do. And I think that we discovered through some words of Jesus, of James, of John, and of Paul that loving your neighbor isn't necessarily as simple as most of us maybe think that it is. That Christ really calls us, that the Bible calls us, that all the four of those folks that I just mentioned in those scriptures calls us to some pretty serious love and to some pretty serious expressions of that love, particularly when it comes to people we may not necessarily like, particularly when it comes to people that... It, rub us the wrong way, I think is the way that we put it last week. Yeah, we're called to love these folks. The difficult ones, the hard ones. We're not just called to love them in our hearts, we're called to love them through our actions. Jesus gives us some pretty challenging words in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25 when he names some very specific people, the naked, the poor, the hungry, the imprisoned, the sick. And he says, just as much as you have done or had you have not done, to one of the least of these you have also done or not done to me. Now that's pretty challenging words for me. His half-brother James talks about how we treat orphans and widows. Of course we discovered in the first uh, John that first John um, John calls us and he says that we are called to lay down our lives for one another. Now that's real love. That's real authentic Christian love and this is the foundation of discipleship. This is the foundation of who we are as Christians, who we're called to be as Christians. These are perfect examples of what authentic discipleship actually looks like. So as we wrap up, I want to wrap up some of this foundational stuff today. And I want to conclude this foundational, it's kind of been a series of uh, sermons, by looking at the church. By looking at what the church is. Now in most contexts, when I, when I use that word church, I want you guys to understand when I'm when I use the word church, I'm saying, I'm talking about the church universal. If I'm talking about Bemis United Methodist, most of the time I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be aware of what I'm saying. I'm going to tell you I'm talking about Bemis United Methodist. But when generally, generally, when I'm using that term, the church, I'm talking about the church universal. I'm talking about the, church, the global church of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to focus us on this morning is the church. Or more appropriately, what the church is. Probably more appropriately what the church was supposed to be, what the church should be. And I want to compare that a little bit as to what the church actually looks like now. Because I don't think the church looks a whole lot like it did in the early days. And I think most of us could probably agree with it. And I think that we have probably, I don't, not probably, we have no doubt suffered greatly, greatly because of it. Most of you, again, probably received my uh, email letter that, I, that I've been sending out every week. Every week um, Since I've been here, I sent another one out this week. If you didn't receive that, so one of the things that I mentioned in that email is I talked about the pandemic. I, thought, I talked about the fact that we are coming out of a, uh, a pandemic unlike an event, a global event unlike anything anybody in this room has ever experienced. I don't care if you're, if you're the children's age or if you're the oldest person in here. Not a person in this room has ever experienced anything like we experienced this last year and a half. Uh, and I think it had some special meaning for the church. I don't know about you guys, but it was really difficult for me not to meet together as a fellowship of believers. That was really hard for me. 
It's something none of us have, again, have experienced. And here's my personal opinion. And I'm going to tell you, I don't purport to have the mind of God. I don't know what God thinks or how God thinks. I'm certainly not calling myself a prophet. But one of the things that I believe, in my opinion anyway, in this last year and a half, is I think God was using this pandemic to grab the attention of the church in a lot of ways. I think that he was using this to grab our attention, maybe to shake us up a little bit. And again, I'm not a prophet. But I think, and this is the way that it's played out in my life anyway, I think he was calling us to take a deep look at ourselves. I think he was calling us to take a deep look at ourselves as individuals and a deep look at ourselves as bodies of Christ, as the global body of Christ and as local individual bodies of Christ. I think he was calling our attention back to authentic discipleship for one thing. I think he was calling us back, and again, only my opinion. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, he's calling us back to return to what the original church looked like and what the original church was supposed to be and what we are called to be. Again, this is just my opinion. I'm not a prophet. I don't know the mind of God. But with all that in mind, I want to give you an idea. And I'm pretty sure it's a scriptural, scriptural idea of what the authentic church is. What is the church, again, at its very foundation? What does the church from a theological and a scriptural view really look like? Because once more, I believe that God is pushing us towards a great reflection and great lament on these things during this time, especially as we come out of this pandemic. I think he's calling us to rediscover what the church is and that we are called not to go to church, that we are called to be the church. I think he's calling us to the fact that the church is not a social club, but that it is a body of believers who are gathered couple of very specific purposes, to worship God, to love God, and to love and serve other people. That we're not a social club, once again. That church is not something that we check off of our to-do list every week. Church is a privilege. It's not a right, by the way. It's a privilege to be in the house of God. It's not another social function. We're not doing God any favors by showing up here once a week for an hour. It's an honor to be here. And again, it's a privilege. Let's understand what the church is from a New Testament perspective real quick. And I'm not trying to impress anybody by doing this, but the Greek word for, for church is ecclesia. And you're going to find that word about 100 times in the New Testament. You're going to find that word about 23 times, I believe, in the book of Acts by, alone. And basically, the church is a gathering. Let's understand this. And I know that we see this on our Facebook pages a lot, our Facebook feeds. Church is not a building. Well, that's true. Church is not a building. Church is people. Church is a gathering of people, and that's what it means in the New Testament. There's two ways we can look at it. Church, like I mentioned in the beginning, is the, is the universal body of Christ. It's every believer, every disciple who has come before us, every disciple present, and every disciple in the future. It is this global movement of Christ followers. The other sense, of course, that we generally think about church is right here. It's the local bodies of Christ. It's the local bodies of Christ that, that meet together. That's what church is. It's a group of people. 
That word ecclesia literally means that it's a gathering. It's a gathering of Christ followers, Christ believers, who are together for one single purpose, to worship God. Okay, three purposes, to worship God, to love God, and to love other people. That's what the church is, universal church and, of course, the local church. So as we read today's scripture, what we're going to talk about is we're going to see what the first church looked like. And we're going to see how the first church, the first gathering of people, of Christ followers, operated. We're going to see how they, how they moved in the world. We're going to see how they related to one another. And what I want you guys to do as we read these very few short, short verses, I want you to play, and, I'm, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll give you a heads up. I, I do this pretty frequently, especially when we're going over narratives or when we're going over stories um, in the Bible. As we read these few scriptures, I want you to place yourself inside of these scriptures. Don't just read them on the surface. Don't just, you know, <clears throat> glance at them. Really digest them. And I'm going to read them kind of slow. Digest the words for one thing, but also put yourself in this scene. Put yourself into the scripture. Put yourself into what we're going to read here. Imagine that you are, Pentecost has just happened, for goodness sakes, by the way. That's, that's what we're following up in these scriptures. The day of Pentecost has just happened. 3,000 people have just come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. 3,000 after hearing Peter speak. And what we're going to get here is we're going to get a glimpse of how this first church, this first group, this first community, this first ecclesia worked together and how they operated together and how they worshiped and how they lived together as a community. Place yourself in that. Place yourself in that situation. Place yourself in, 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 that, in that area with them and ask yourselves these questions after we after we read these two four four or five verses after you do that ask yourselves these questions did what I just read here did what I just read here in the book of Acts even remotely close did it even closely reflect what I experienced in today's church even remotely did what I just read here even remotely reflect what I experience in today's church? Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. It's up there on your screen. And again, this is the first gathering of Christ's followers. This is the first real gathering of Christ's believers. Pentecost has just happened. Here's how these folks worked. Here's how these folks operated. They, <clears throat> they be in the first church. Place yourself there. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching they devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and the signs that were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property. And they sold possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's the word of God for the people of God. Again, I ask you to ask yourselves, does what we just read in those scriptures remotely reflect what we experience in today's church. Several things stand out to me in those verses. First thing, first thing that stands out is verse 42. Can y'all put the... Thank, you guys are getting with me, aren't you? Thank you, Wes. 
<clears throat> Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Right there in verse 42, they've got four things. <clears throat> four things are mentioned in that very, very short sentence. The apostles' teachings they devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to prayer. <clears throat> First thing that stands out to me is how they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. How devoted are we to being discipled? E-D, discipled. How open are we to allowing our, not just your pastor, that's, one, that's only one aspect, but to discipling one another because that's how this early church worked. We're going to talk a little bit more about that into it. <clears throat> but they were devoted to being discipled. They were devoted to not only hearing the story of Jesus, not only listening to the teachings of Jesus, but submitting to the apostles' teaching. How open are we to, to submitting to the teaching of Jesus Christ? How open are we to submitting to the teachings of Scripture? My gosh, how open are we to actually submitting to somebody else in our fellowship who might know or have a little bit more wisdom than I do? a little bit more awareness of Scripture and how to apply that to our lives. How open are we to that today? It says here they actually enjoyed it. They weren't just open to it. We talked about obedience. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. We don't like that word obedience. That word obedience rubs us as a culture the wrong way. We're too individualistic. We want to do our things our way. When we want to believe we want, to, we want to follow this much of Jesus, but not so much this much of Jesus. We want to follow this much of Scripture, not so much these things. And we'll just pick and choose as we go along. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Second thing that you see is fellowship. How well do we fellowship together? I'm going to tell you, for the last year and a half, we, have, we, we've not, no, we haven't been able to for one thing. But have we perhaps gotten a little bit lax as well during that time? Fellowshipping together. How much do we actually desire to be in the company of one another? To breaking bread together. And by the way, some of your translations may have this. They may have breaking bread, which includes the Lord's Supper. How devoted are we to receiving and participating in communion to one another? Communion in the early church was a big deal. It was a big deal. Receiving the body and blood of Christ together as a community was a big deal. Receiving communion in the history of Methodism, by the way, was also a very, very big deal. John Wesley believed that it was what he called what we refer to as a means of grace, just like prayer, just like scripture study, that it was one of these actions that we do whereby God works his grace through us to mold us and to shape us into Christ's likeness. That's how powerful we have a history of believing is, is, in, is in the elements, is in the, is in the wine and the bread during communion. How devoted are we to receiving communion together? Or do we just kind of, some of us maybe miss that first Sunday of the month sometimes? It's a big deal. What about prayer? What about prayer? Here's one that I love, love, love to talk about, particularly community-oriented prayer. I don't know how your, what your individual prayer lives are like. I, I, I hope they're good. I'm going to suspect that they're good. 
But what about community prayer? You want to know one of the reasons that the church suffers today? How often do we pray together? How often do we pray together as a community of believers? We have at our disposal the single most powerful tool in the world. That is a direct link to God the Creator. How often do we use it? How often do we use it, particularly as bodies of Christ, not just as individuals? James, once again, the half-brother of Christ, one of the things that he writes in his book is that he says, pray for each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. And healing can mean a lot of things. I don't say this as a criticism. I say this as an observation because it happens in pretty much every church that I attend. When's the last time you've seen a group of Christians throwing snot and tears at an altar? I don't know about y'all, but that's been a while for me. Used to see it pretty often when I was growing up. I don't know when the last time was that I've seen that. Groups, huge masses of Christians coming to the altar together with the sole purpose of repentance for whatever their sins are, for one thing, but also to pray for one another. I remember those days, but I don't recall the last one I saw. And again, it's not a criticism necessarily, it's an observation. They devoted themselves to prayer together. Here's another thing that's really cool that stands out in verse 44 and 45. It says, All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had in need. <clears throat> now, I'm not going to go tell you guys to sell all of your property. What I, what, I will say is, what I will say that stands out in this is one word, and that is radical, two words, radical, radical, radical generosity. Radical, crazy generosity. Yeah, these folks were literally selling their stuff, literally selling their land to support one another. How generous are we with the blessings that God has blessed us with? How generous are we with, with the resources that God has blessed us with? At, at bare minimum, we're called to some radical generosity. And I will say this for Bemis from what I've learned so far, as we are a generous church. From what I've learned so far, from what I've, what I've seen, I see a lot of incredible generosity in our church. But that's a mark. That is a mark of an authentic church, is this radical sense of generosity. Forty-six and forty-seven. <laughs> a couple words stand out to me. Several words stand out to me. How often did they do this? Every day. Who said that? Kevin? Every day. Every day. We're good if we show up for an hour on Sunday. Every day these folks were doing this stuff together. Not because they had to, not because they were made to, not because somebody forced them to, not because they saw it as some kind of some kind of directive that they had to follow or something bad was going to happen, happen to them. Why did they do it? What motivated them to do it? Glad and sincere hearts. They wanted to be a part of that community. They wanted to be part of that church. They wanted to pray together. They wanted to share their resources with one another. They wanted to fellowship. They wanted to break bread with one another. They wanted these things. Not only did they want to do it more than once a week, 
They wanted to do it every day, and they did do it every day. I'm not telling you you got to come to church every day. What I ask you, though, is where are our hearts, church? Where are our hearts? Why do we come to church? Why do we not come to church? How involved are we in our local congregation? Why are we involved in our local congregation, and to what degree? Why are we not? These are the kind of questions we need to ask ourselves if we're not reflecting this type of church. And I'm not saying you ha we have to, we or any other church has directly be a mirror image of this in all aspects. But this is a good foundation for us. And it sets a precedent. And it should be motivating us to ask ourselves a lot of hard, a lot of difficult questions. Something else that stands out to me that was present during this time in the attitudes of the church was this idea of accountability. Now that word is not directly in these scriptures, but you can certainly see it in these scriptures. Accountability, and you can certainly see it in other places in the Bible. Accountability. Of course, they were accountable to God, but they were also accountable to each other. You want to talk about something else we've lost in the church is our idea of accountability to one another. What my wife does affects this congregation. What I do affects this congregation. What any of you as individuals do affects this congregation, whether it be good or bad. Let me tell you what we don't want. We don't want to be accountable to people. And there's another reason that we fail, and there's another horrific thing that has happened as the result of our culture influencing the church. We like our individualism. We like the idea of doing what we do, what we want to do, when we want to do it, where we want to do it. We don't need nobody looking into our private lives. Privacy, there's another one. And I'm not saying we got to all air out our dirty laundry to each other, but certainly we are accountable to each other. And accountability is not a bad thing. Accountability is where spiritual growth happens. Church was never, ever, ever, Christianity was never, ever, ever meant to be an individualistic pursuit. Ever. Ever. John Wesley said this. What did John Wesley say? John Wesley said, The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. He's absolutely right about that. From Genesis to Revelation, are you will you never find any idea of Christianity being an individual pursuit. It's not how God designed it. Can you be a Christian and not go to church? Yeah, I guess you can. Should you? Not according to Scripture. There's no accountability there. Accountability is how we grow, by the way. It's not a bad thing. I'm not, you know, it's, it's not. It's not. It's a good thing. It's one of the first things that I learned in the spiritual life is the more I feel like I'm accountable to somebody, the more I'm going to grow. The more my heart's going to change, the more I'm going to grow. And that's, and that's a good thing. It's, it, again, it's not, it's not a bad thing. But again, we don't like that idea. We don't like the idea of it being accountable. We don't like the idea of, of, of an invasion of our personal privacy. But it's historical Christianity. It's historical Christianity all day long. It's also historical Methodism. Did you know, did you know back in the early days of Methodism... They were, they were basically, I'm going to wrap up. I know I'm, I know I'm going overboard. <clears throat> but there were, uh, 
there were three ways that Methodists met in the early days of Methodism. Frankly, I think we need to get back to this. But there were three ways that Methodists met. Some of y'all who've been in the Methodist Church a long, a long time probably know this. There were things called societies, there were things called class meetings, and there were things called band meetings. Okay, societies were basically, were basically this. They were basically our local congregations, these larger groups of people that met together to worship and to sing and to hear the Word of God proclaimed. Band or classes were a little bit different. Classes were, were made of about 12 to 15 people, and they were mixed-gendered. There were men and women in, in the class meetings. And it was somewhat of an accountability group, but not really. Um, basically, they had one question. They would meet together, and they would ask, these, ask each other pretty much one question. How is it with your soul? In other words, how is your spiritual life? And this is how they discipled one another, by the way. And people would get honest. People would get very open. People would be very, very transparent with one another. And again, this is how they discipled each other in one aspect. So those were class meetings. Band meetings were where the rubber hit the, hit the road. These were very, very small gatherings. These were, I think, about three to five people, same gender, so they were all, either all women or all men. And this is where it got serious. This is where they started asking each other and answering and being very, very accountable to each other in, a, in, in very specific ways. What sins have you committed this week? How many of us would be willing to answer that question today? What sins have you committed this week? What sins have you thought about committing? <laughs> These are the things that they asked each other, and this is also how they grew. Because accountability is how we grow. By the way, they would also give out tickets, I think at the class meetings. And if you didn't have a ticket to the class meeting, you couldn't get into church. True story. True story. Accountability. It's all over the place in the Bible. And again, that's how we grow. We grow in community. That's the model that Christ gave us. Community. Not individualism. Not as much as I love my prayer time with God in the morning. And I do grow a little bit about that. But through doing that, through those practices, of course we do. It's also about togetherness. It's also about community. That was the design that God gave us. It's the model of the early church. Community. Community. When I become a Christian, when I claim to be a Christian, I become a part of a community. I become a part of the church, the global body, the local body. I become a part of this group where my individuality goes out the door. My selfishness goes out the door. My preferences go out the door. My ego goes out the door. We're part of something bigger than us. We're part of something greater than us, and that's called the body of Christ. That's called the church. These guys existed in that. They lived that. They existed in that community, carrying out those two purposes, those three purposes, worship, love, and service to God and neighbor. And again, they did it with glad and sincere hearts. Where are our hearts today? Why are we here today? How much do we participate? How much do we not participate? Why do we not participate? Why, why do we not participate? These are the hard questions to ask each other. And I'm going to wrap up here in about two minutes, guys. But I want to tell you a story. And again, I don't say this story to toot my own horn by any stretch of the imagination. But my wife and I... Um, 
We had an incredible experience with God a number of years ago. Incredible experience, and it happened to both of us at one time. I grew up in the church, she grew up in the church, and we, we, we strayed. Long story short, though, we had this incredible experience of God in pretty much, pretty much a moment like that. And both of us had it together, which is pretty miraculous, and, and I still think even years later, it's pretty doggone cool. But one of the things that we decided as a couple early, early on in those years, and this is before I even felt like I had a call to ministry, this is certainly before I even accepted a call to ministry, but one of the things that we decided as a couple early, early on is that when the doors of the church were open, we were going to be there. If they were open on Sunday morning, we were going to be there. If they had Sunday night services, we were going to be there. If they had Wednesday night services, we were going to be there. If they had a small group, we were going to be there. If they had a prayer meeting, we were going to be there. And we did. Long before I was a pastor. And that's what we did, and that's how we lived. And that's how we continue to live today. I don't say that because I think I'm special. I'm saying that because we have to have that for one thing. I say that because I do the things that I do in those aspects. We do the things that we do in those aspects because we need them. Not because I'm special, not because I'm better than anybody, but because I need God. I need God in my life. Every single minute, every single day. And the more that I can congregate with you guys, the more God works through you guys. And the more I grow, the more my wife grows, the more our local church grows. And we look a little bit more, we think a little bit more, we talk a little bit more, we live a little bit more. We conform, in the words of Paul, a little bit more to the image of Jesus Christ. So that's my vision. That's what I see when I look for the future of Bemis United Methodist Church. I see this book in Acts. Y'all can say, Jerry, you're a little too intense. You're a little bit too naive. <laughs> whatever, whatever, that's fine. Maybe, maybe I am. But frankly, I don't think so because, frankly, I don't think God would call us to this unless he would empower us to be that because he's God and, and we're not. Y'all pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the model that you have given us for your church. Lord, we know that we stray so far away from you in both our individual lives, our personal lives, and in our communal lives. Help us to use this as an example. Help us, God, to look to your early church, those early followers as our example. Give us hearts that are drawn to you. Give us hearts that are drawn to worshiping you. Give us hearts that are drawn to being accountable to you and accountable to our brothers and accountable to our sisters. Give us hearts, God, for prayer, for fervent, heartfelt, wrenching prayer that reaches to the heavens, God. And all that we do, may we glorify you for your kingdom and for the good of every life that we touch. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.